When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, this is weird. Can I describe my feet right now? They're very <laughs> they're very narrow with extremely high arches. And I'm going to reveal something right now that you may not want to know. My big toe looks like a gigantic sea cucumber. I mean, it's easily a half inch longer than the rest of my toes. I mean, remember the Cleveland Browns kicker, Lou the Toe Groza? Okay, he had nothing on me. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm telling you all this because... No matter how weird and contorted or normal your feet may be, you probably have one thing in common with me. We're always looking for the most comfortable shoe. So was professional soccer star Tim Brown of New Zealand. Upon retiring, when he no longer had to wear the shoes that he endorsed, he decided, you know what? I'm going to design the best, most comfortable, cool as hell shoe. Wait till you hear what it actually took to take his design which Time Magazine has now deemed the world's most comfortable shoe from idea, which, by the way, everyone in the shoe industry said would never work, to creating and starting up in his new partner's mother-in-law's house to actual creation. Joining me now with the epic story of all birds, the sustainable wool shoes now sported by everyone from Matthew McConaughey to Emma Roberts, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher to, yeah, just about every CEO in Silicon Valley, our co-founders, Tim Brown and Joey Zwellinger. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Wait, why did you pause? We, we, well, sometimes we just need to see who's going who's gonna to talk. <laughs> yeah, you're so indelibly we, linked at we, this point. We, we have heard uh, far worse toe stories, by the way. Oh, you have? Yeah. Being I in the might, shoe business, you learn a lot about people's feet, whether you like it or not. I might show my toe maybe to you guys <laughs> by the end, but I have to decide. We'll work on that. Takes a lot of courage. Uh, I, first of all, I can't wait to hear the mother-in-law story, but let's begin with you, Tim. The genesis of all birds, you were finishing up your career mm-hmm. playing pro soccer for the Australian A-League. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And what? You're looking in your closet and all you see are, I'm sure, comfortable shoes, but they're slathered in logos. Yeah. Did, did the world need another shoe? Maybe not. I mean, there's 20 billion pairs of shoes a year made, um, but they all had logos and they were over-designed and it felt like there was an opportunity for simplicity. And so I set out to to try and solve that problem when I was playing soccer and knew nothing about how to make a shoe. So your idea begins to take form. Let's talk about that. Uh, what in the design as you envisioned it, still inside your head, was non-negotiable that you had to have? Uh, without logos, simple as possible, but not too simple. Um, that there was an opportunity for uh, a different type of design language in this very crowded, loud uh, category of footwear that seemed to change all the time and use bright colors very liberally. So, um, so I set out to do it. And I, you know, I was playing soccer trying to get to a World Cup at the time, but uh, I started making shoes and, and literally sampled them and sampled them and sampled them and went through in the end hundreds and hundreds of variations of this shoe uh, so that we could make the one perfect version of uh, what would become our wool runner. This is well before you met Joey. I'm not ignoring Joey. 
But I need to hear about the time between that moment where you started to come up with something. So I probably started working on this in 2007. Uh, I was playing soccer in the middle of a, of a soccer career. Uh, kept going year after year after year. Went into my first footwear factory and realized that shoes are, are made quite cheaply, usually out of not very nice synthetic materials. And there was an opportunity to, to use different materials. And in the first case for us, it was wool um, and, and focus on, on delivering uh, an incredible comfort experience with this design point of view. And um, it was very, very hard. And fast forward, I think, five, six years later of trying this, uh, I'd retired from football and found myself uh, at business school uh, with a little bit of an opportunity to take the idea further. And that's when you got a little money to take the idea further, correct? Mm -hmm. Talk about getting that cold, hard cash that you really needed to heat up the idea and really get it moving. I had a professor that told me uh, it was a bad idea and that I didn't know <laughs> enough about shoes and that this was sort of uh, that I should put it on Kickstarter or something so that the, the idea would fail and I could move on with my life. Uh, and I did that and it was, <laughs> it, was, it was wildly successful. And in four days, I had a thousand pairs of shoes to sell uh, and they sold out um, almost immediately. And we raised $125,000, which felt like... Uh, everything at that time, and uh, and Joey was my first customer on the Kickstarter. Campaign. Wait, how did you find this? Do you just troll Kickstarter, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, I, I don't. Uh, I was I was pretty busy at the time as well, but but fortunately, Tim's girlfriend at the time, now wife, was really good friends with my wife because uh, they went to college together. So I got I got the friendly blast from. Uh, from Tim and Lindsay asking to you know support this. She felt sorry for me. Yeah. <laughs> she felt sorry for me. And and unfortunately, Tim sent me a pair of women's ten instead of a men's ten. Oh, nice going. And I would say customer service back then was was not as good as it is today. <laughs> so this was a sympathy purchase. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, honestly, Tim, uh, one of the most amazing consumer, just like knows intuitively, just knows what people want. And if you look back at that video, it's, you can still find it online. It, the 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 foundation of the brand that we've built together today under Allbirds was already there. The seeds around the idea of sustainability, even though he didn't have a background in it, where I was spending my whole career in the design and language, and and really just uh, an approachability to the brand that I think is authentic to to Tim just as a person. And so I, I this was not sympathy. I thought it was cool. Now when I when I accepted the fact that I got a women's ten, that was that was maybe <laughs> out of sympathy. Such a, it, was, it, was, it was very kind words, and I appreciate it, but it was a very difficult uh, customer. Uh, oh, yeah. well, I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. Listen, the women's 10 for, for me, Miss Toe, would have been perfect. Uh, but what about the first shoe that came off the assembly line? I'm going to hold it up here. Um, the first shoe is there, but here's one, and it's all wool. And this this sole, which I find really fascinating, does not, like so many other shoes – have a petroleum base in it at all. Many athletic shoes do. But before we get to sort of how you engineered it, Joey, mm -hmm. the first shoe that came off the assembly line, tell us how you got that to happen, even as you looked at a, what was a disastrous shoe industry. I, I mean, literally, the first footwear factory I visited, I'd found on Google. Where and, was it? Uh, it was in Indonesia. And I, I showed up, knew nothing about it, and kind of talked my way in there and made the first... Uh, shoe, brought it back to my teammates at the time who laughed at me, and then I went again, and I went again, and I went again, 
and again and again, and literally hundreds of efforts to try and get this right. We were only making one shoe. We didn't want to make a range or a style at the stage. It was if you were going to make one sneaker and that was all you could make, what would it look like? And so it was this relentless pursuit of trying to get this thing right over over you know years. I started working on 2007, 2008, and it was 2014 when we launched the Kickstarter campaign. Why didn't you give up? It's a good question. Uh, it looks a little crazy sometimes in, in hindsight, but I there was a there was a vision for what this thing could be, and we just didn't quite get there. And so it was until we did, I wasn't prepared to give up. Um, there's lots of times you want to, but I, th- I think you just keep on going. And in some ways, you're energized by all the people that know a lot more in a weird sort of way that are telling you that you should stop. At some point, you think to yourself, I'm a pro soccer player. I need an engineer. Joey, that was your expertise. So what did you bring to the picture as you knew what his parameters were? You wanted it sustainable. You wanted it to be logo-free. So talk about the trial and error process and, and how many hashtag <clears throat> fails you had. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it was very difficult from a technical perspective. But, but you know, I think what made it easier was the purpose of why we decided to do it together. So, so just rewinding a touch before we, before we get to the, the shoe construction, which is, which is an important part of the story. Tim, Tim was, um, I think, finishing up really the, the, a very long year after the Kickstarter and, and at the urging again of our wives. We, uh, we got together and Tim flew from London where he was living at the time to my house in the Bay Area. And we, we talked about the opportunity in the shoe industry. We talked about how much waste there was. We talked about the over-logo, the over-design principles that were being used to pop off the shelf in, in these struggling retail businesses. And, and the brands had to really like do something to get people's attention when they walk into a store where there's 300 styles of shoes. So how do we simplify that? How do we deliver an offering? And we, we came up with the, with, with the idea from a business perspective that this simple design was really fantastic, particularly if it stood alone in our own retail channel. And so we, we really believe from the beginning that doing vertical retail and, and having ed- every one of our sales directly with, with our customer was a very important principle. Yeah, you didn't want some middleman <clears throat> like, uh, you know, no criticism of Bloomingdale's or, you know, Foot Locker, but you wanted that direct relationship. Yeah, and, th- and they're struggling and there's a lot of unintended consequences when the retail giants struggle. What happens to the brands? They go for fast and cheap. That's that's what they devolve to, but I think most importantly, that was the business strategy. We had a, we had a good financial opportunity, but w- where I was working at the time was in environmental sciences and working to use the private sector to combat climate change. And I was doing it through <clears throat> a biotech company where we were engineering organisms and com- and making products that competed with petroleum, either fuel or chemicals. And so when Tim and I got together, I think what we really connected on was that not only did we have a great business opportunity, but we had a leadership opportunity to do something that the world really needed and, and that consumers really wanted. Consumers want businesses to offer a, fin- a, a fantastic product and not have that have to compromise on the planet. Or and, the price. <clears throat> or the price. No compromise. The, the, and, and none is necessary. I just think the really? brands that have existed for the last 50 years have been built on a different paradigm, and they haven't been looking under the rocks that we look under. So what is this soul made of? What is in here right now? So we call it sweet foam, but it's a, it's a waste stream off of sugarcane processing. It's one of the most environmentally friendly 
uh, uh, crops in the world in terms of producing carbon and sucking carbon out, out of the atmosphere, and we've turned that into a foam bottom made out of sugar cane. And this, of course, is wool, which takes you back to your New Zealand roots and merino wool. Lots of sheep in New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. So you've got to tell me about the wool concept because up until then, I never really saw a wool shoe. It hadn't really existed before. And, and New Zealand, uh, you know, obviously has a lot of sheep, but it used to have a lot more. It's been an industry that's historically been very, very important to New Zealand, but it had been struggling and it had been crying out for innovation. And it mm-hmm. was one of the early inspirations was the idea that there was uh, an opportunity in footwear to use wool in a way that had never been done before. So uh, we did an enormous amount of R&D over a number of years to kind of create the first shoe really out of wool. And uh, that um, anchor of material and material innovation has been the core of the brand and the business really from the beginning. And we've now gone on to add the sugar cane that you mentioned, also Mm -hmm. a line of shoes made out of eucalyptus fiber. And it's not uh, just doing it because uh, these materials are better for the environment, but because they create a better experience. What are the laces made of? Those are recycled plastic bottles. Um, And there's a range of components. We've gone through literally each component of the shoe and and tried to make it uh, out of the most sustainable materials we can in each case. We don't shout from the rooftops about all these things. I mean, there's the components are so minor. Even the insole that you're stepping on in that shoe is made out of vegetable oil. But what we've tried to basically... Give ourselves one scorecard. Our scorecard is, is what, what are we emitting from that shoe in terms of the production uh, as it relates to you know, global warming and other potentials. And we, we try to make the best product that a consumer could possibly step into. And then we try to minimize the carbon impact of that shoe every single day. And we do that component by component. Well, I do want to find out about the mother-in-law component because <laughs> that is where you actually officially launched the company from. Your mother-in-law, how did you ask her, hey, mom, uh, can you can you kind of make some room for us to launch a shoe company that nobody says will succeed? Yeah, look, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, are, we are blessed both with extremely supportive families, both, both our nuclear families with our kids and, and our wives, but also our extended families, my mother-in-law uh, and my mom, just absolutely amazing. And from day one uh, – um, were wildly supportive of what we were doing and just had confidence in both of us that we made a good duo. And she set us up in her apartment uh, in, in San Rafael, uh, California, just north of San Francisco by about 30 minutes. Oh, it's so, uh, an apartment. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little condo. And and uh, we held down the fort. We had my dog Walter there by our side. Our first we got, intern, I, I first believe intern, our first yeah. conference call we have a picture of was sharing sharing headphones, uh, headphones on one wire. Uh, <laughs> so we were we were pretty scrappy. We were making do with what uh, whatever we could to to build a business as efficiently as possible and give ourselves a shot at su- succeeding. Which yeah. today is a more than one billion dollar company. And I just take this second to explain that. Everyone talks to Liz. This is our bar. We want people who found success, whether it was in business or their personal lives or what have you, but only after they scaled unbelievable stumbling blocks or mountains or just walls of people saying, no way, never going to work. And that's that's you guys at Allbirds. There does come a point where you're starting to sell shoes and your friends are buying and now their friends and their friends are buying – that you say to yourself, you know what, we actually need more capital. We need money, i.e. venture capital or rich people's money to help us grow. Who was the first to wave their hand and say, 
I'm stepping up. Well, you know, we had um, a network of of compatriots uh, that I think um, didn't have a ton of money, but were essential to us building the company really early on. So um, uh, I'm very close, and now Tim is as well with the guys who started Warby Parker. We were we were classmates in both undergrad and, and grad school, and and uh, and those guys have been instrumental in terms of strategic advice and also really early on capital, and made some intros to a couple of these seed stage investors in New York City who have uh, a, an amazing focus on the consumer landscape, and I think we were. We were candidly about one hour from Tim's bachelor party, and we <laughs> got our first term sheet offer uh, right before then, which made the bachelor party pretty entertaining. From? And, uh, from a group called Lara Hippo. We know Lara Hippo. And, and, He's a friend ben, of the show. Ben, ben Lara was, was, um, was the man that, that took the courage and said- Backed us. Yeah, yeah. back us. Uh, a, a couple of guys walking up the streets of Manhattan with a bag of shoes- uh, in the hot summer, with uh, with the idea that we launched with one shoe in a category where that was uh, that was pretty atypical. And then everybody's raising their hand and saying, "I want in! I want in!" And that's that's when it's easy. You know, it's easier when they see the success. But what was the point, Tim? Where was it a tipping point or a certain order from someone where you realized, "Oh my God, this is actually happening." Yeah, it's 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 interesting. We actually, you know, when it started to go well, about a month in, you know, I think we we launched on the first of March, twenty sixteen, allbirds dot com, selling uh, in New Zealand and America online only, and it just it sort of exploded. And uh, did your website crash? Uh, no, it didn't. We, you know, I, I think to our to our credit, I, I mean, I think we'd been incredibly frugal in the way that we built the business, and still still are today. Um, but we'd always planned for success. We'd imagined. That it would be successful, and um, and so we were able to kind of ride that wave. And uh, Time Magazine called the shoe the most comfortable in the world, and then all of these sort of celebrities started to adopt it, you know, randomly and organically, which was just amazing. And uh, at one one point, I got a, a phone call from my mum, and she said the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, if you know that name, yes, uh, had just been elected, and she met with the Australian Prime Minister, and she'd given them as a gift. And mum, <gasps> mum was like, look. As far as I'm concerned, whatever happens from here on in, you've made it. <laughs> you go ahead, get arrested. No problem. <laughs> the Prime Minister of New Zealand, I've arrived. My son made her shoes. Uh, congratulations. But, that, but the amazing. irony was, on the surface, it was it was like it was all going great, and it was it was probably like the first time that we we had a uh, you know some some speed bumps in working together. There was like all sorts of challenges and so many different things coming at you. Uh, with the success that we were having, building team, hiring, and uh, you know, it was actually a little bit of a challenging period. But um, so I, I just don't think that we've ever had a moment where we've kind of taken any any of that for granted. And I think it's really, really important because there's always a, there's always a hundred things you could be doing better. This is everyone talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations 
or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. And with success come bigger problems, certainly. I want to ask about your supply chain. Rattle off really quickly every country through which your supply chain runs. Mm. Wow. So we we take eucalyptus from uh, an ethically harvested forest and managed plantation in South Africa. Uh, we we take wool, merino wool from New Zealand. We take sugarcane from Brazil. We uh, we have fabric knitted in Italy outside of Milan, uh, and then we assemble shoes in Korea, and we also have socks manufactured in North Carolina, and uh, and then um, we have distribution in eight different countries with different warehouses that then flow out to a network of twenty stores. What kind of coronavirus impact are you seeing? Well, uh, we do have a business in China, and, and that business really slowed down to almost a screeching halt uh, for, a number of, for a number of weeks. And it, it's, it's now recovered extremely well, and, and we're, we're both just really proud of our team on the ground in Shanghai. Some of them are stuck in different places still with kids not being able to go to school because their schools are shut down through May. So that's been a big impact on our employees as well as our business in China. And then um, from a supply chain perspective, I will say that we have, uh, we have gotten lucky and we also chose partners who have shown incredible resilience. And we have had a two-week delay in some very important products that are coming out shortly. From? Uh, from uh, a variety of places where the components come from, but we were going to assemble the shoes in Shenzhen, China, in southern China. And, and that had a two-week delay. And essentially, that's it. So really no material impact. And who knows what happens from here? It looks like things are still uncertain in, in developed economies as well now with how the, how the bug is spreading. But, um, but so far, our, our employees and our partners uh, have responded incredibly well, and consumers are showing no signs of letting up. For, May I for ask buying. about Italy? You're near Milan. That is a worrisome hotspot. What are you seeing in Italy, Tim? You know, I, I mean, I think it's just it's it's not good. Clearly, all the stories coming out of there are, are, not, are not good. But I, I just don't think we know enough at the moment. So our, our approach um, is just to be very, very patient. We're communicating often uh, with our team of uh, north of five hundred people globally uh, with all the information um, as it kind of comes to bear. And I think it's important to, uh, to you know to not panic and at the same time be very, very careful about how we operate and how we travel. And, and we've started to, to, to communicate that to our team. How so? Are you telling people to stay home? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's if certainly if they're seeing any symptoms, uh, we're, we're encouraging or, or forcing really work from home. Uh, and and the, the mindset that we've had is, 
health and safety first. If we have a place and, and we're, we're increasing risk of, of health and safety being uh, endangered, we want to avoid that uh, as, as much as we possibly can. And so uh, non-essential travel, we're, we're avoiding that. We're using video conference and using the opportunity to get better at operating as a global company with video conference, which I think is, is going to be a really nice uh, outcome of this for us, silver lining, I should say. Um, so, yeah, so, so we're communicating really regularly and we're, we're making sure that um, employees in corporate and in retail feel safe and, and that they, they can make sure to communicate upwards very quickly anything that makes them feel otherwise. I would imagine that even before all of this, you guys were looking at supply chain issues due to the trade wars, yeah, whether it was China or Italy. Has any of this paired with the coronavirus made you rethink where you will assemble these shoes? You know, I think what the main thing that it's done is it has it has tested our resilience in our supply chain and it has encouraged us to diversify more quickly. Where? Um, you know, where is actually less important than uh, the fact of diversification. So as a small company, it's really hard to have – multiple suppliers across all the different components, particularly in the shoe industry. Um, and so we've been fairly concentrated and, and, and we've been on a path towards uh, kind of adding resilience to our supply chain. And, and this, uh, this event that's happened has, has illustrated that we were on the right path and actually showed that we were pretty resilient where we were and had great partners, but further diversification. So I think regional diversification is one thing uh, that's very important. Uh, but also uh, just in terms of, of number of companies that we're working with, making sure that we have multiple opportunities for each component, even if it's in the same geography. Um, so all of that best practice that larger businesses uh, incorporate into their supply chain are things that this is, this is uh, increasing our, our focus on. Tim, would you imagine moving anything that's being done overseas to America? Uh, you know, I mean, I think we've been quite uh, – agnostic about where we make things um, beyond uh, quality and then obviously our sustainability metrics. So we're starting to, to, to use them as a key driver in terms of how we're, where we're making things and how we're making them and what we're making them out of. So that, that becomes a new level, another level of fidelity on, to, on, on top of our supply chain that maybe ordinary businesses that aren't as focused on, on, on this topic uh, have as well. So, um, but in the case of North Carolina with our socks, we went to the best place in the world to make socks out of uh, a blend of eucalyptus and wool, which is not traditionally used in the sock space. And there's three brothers who graduated from the University of North Carolina who have a 100-year-old business there that make just an incredible, incredible product. And that's where we went in that particular case. And uh, our wool shoes are made in Busan uh, in Korea because that is an incredibly skilled industry as well that is uh, in incredibly empathetic for our sustainable objectives. So. so you moved into socks after several years of just doing the shoes and, and a few different designs. What's next? You're doing apparel. That was launched last year. How's that going? It's, I mean, it's socks at the moment. And again, not just normal socks. I mean, we didn't just go down the road and put our logo on on a on a on a, on a cotton sock. We innovated at the yarn level, uh, using materials that are not traditionally used in, in socks in the same way that we'd done in, in, in shoes. And we introduced a a product that has gone extraordinarily well for us. Uh, that has been on the market uh, only several months. How much are they? Uh, they start at ten bucks, uh, go up to fifteen. And there's three different sizes. 
Um, and uh, you know, we think that we think they're special. Well, so does Bombas, and they got me with this massive <laughs> online advertising every five minutes there. <laughs> <laughs> and radio and hey, how you doing? I got a tattoo because we were you know we're donating and there's that that <laughs> that whole component to it. How are you going to take me away from Bombas because now I'm wearing their socks? Yeah, I think you know our our hope is when we started the company in 2016, we said give us wear your shoes for 30 days if you don't like them we will take them back in any condition i always wondered if that promise whether it's vitamins or some type of other um creams that i hear all the time if people just use it up and send it back sometimes i mean we don't get people taking advantage of us uh and and, Good. and we do yeah i mean we we monitor if people start like uh, trying to rent from us using that policy we don't allow that but if, if it's a genuine you know i i've tried it and i don't like it we we will take it back anytime no questions asked. And and I think that was – we did that because we wanted to show how confident we were that we spent a huge amount of effort and time and resources to develop a product that we were really proud of and we thought you would love. And the same thing with the socks. So I think if you try on our socks, you are going to have a moment where you're going to say, wow, these guys have, have invented a, a material that is different and this feels – awesome and you're going to keep coming back for it and that's our hope so you know we it's going to take us some time we're probably not going to uh, gouge your eyes out with ads on socks but <laughs> thank we, you <laughs> but we we would certainly encourage you and your listeners to try it and think you'll love it let me tell you how my personal world has changed i brought props everybody i brought props of, of different price points this is a nine west shoe that i have okay that's like a, i don't even know 12 inch heel I, I don't even know anymore because they're crazy. Here is a Louboutin, the Christian Louboutin, the French one with the red soles and, of course, very high heels. This is an Ivanka Trump back when she made shoes. I have these. And then there are the flats. This is a Manola Blahnik flat. After wearing all of them, including the flats, over just a few hours, my feet are screaming in pain. We need to move from the prof- perception that just because a woman is wearing high heels means that that's a more professional look. And I think that that becomes a workplace design issue. And right now in Silicon Valley, you guys are already there, correct? Do you have a lot of women now simply wearing the shoes to work every single day? Yeah, I think I think it was one of the things that we, we saw really early on, that like maybe our parents had gone to work in a much more structured way, right? Like it was nine to five and they were dressing up and there was this distinction between their home life and their work life. And, you know, the lines are blurred. And I think that we've seen the impact that's had in fashion. And there's like some labels applied to it, like athleisure and and, and, and the idea uh, that this is a trend I think is wrong because I think it's a fundamental shift in the way that we work and that we play. And you shouldn't have to be anything other than comfortable and relaxed and being able to perform um, beyond just looking good, I, so I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a complete shift, and that feels to me even when you're, sh- look, you're showing me those shoes. There's a place for them, don't get me wrong, but it feels like a little bit of a, you know, from a, from a, from a different period. Yeah, the, the places in my, um, my office because I don't have them at home anymore. I'm just, I can't. I wear them at work, but it's just so painful because of the toe. Um, let's talk now about the future, but also looking back in the past. Dave Ramsey, who's the guy who cuts up all the credit cards, he saw real lows and bankruptcy and points where he just wanted to completely give up on life. 
he is known for saying that success sometimes is nothing more than standing at the very top of a mountain of failures. Was there a failure where you really got worried and thought to yourself, I, I just don't know if this is going to work? In, in the in the early days, like uh, what I kind of call the pre-Joey period, there was, uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a time – uh, you know, where I was, I was fumbling with this idea. It, it, it was never imagined as a business. It was, it was more like a personal problem to solve. And then I found myself trying to make shoes. Well, making anything is hard. Making shoes is extraordinarily difficult. It's like a feat of engineering. And then doing that with materials that had never been used in footwear was this sort of like hat trick of challenges. And, uh, and it was a struggle. And, you know, Joe talked about the family before. I mean, there was a number of times – I mean, let's call it what it is where you're trying to quit. You're almost looking for an excuse for someone to sort of say, okay. And and to my credit, my, my family never did. They never let me off the hook. And they sort of encouraged me to kind of go a little bit further. And, and you know, as is always the way, and it was the same with my soccer career, just when, you know, you think it's not going to work. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, this thing becomes just when you're about to give up, it comes right. I think we owe your wives a huge shout out. You know, they say behind every successful man is a surprised wife. No, they say it's a, <laughs> is a supportive wife, right? Um, but they really never, it seems, once said, can you get a real job now? Yeah, no, more than supportive. I mean, like we – she wanted us to cut my salary by like – Two thirds or three quarters what? to take a, to take a risk on this. She wanted me to get out of my system. She thought the idea was great. She also, I mean, this stuff when you're building a business like this with with growing a lot of employees, it gets wedged, you know, really deep in your brain. And she is who I go and talk to about all the details that are happening. And she, for the last five years, has listened to every detail and given incredible feedback. And uh, so it's more than just support. It's it's um, it's the bedrock of how we've been able to do this. Not to mention, I've had I have three kids that are six and under, and you know we're doing we're we're building this business together. Tim and I are, and and she's also an integral part of that. While we're also raising a family of small kids, so it, it's um you know it's it's been it, it's been something I, I will. Uh, Never, never take for granted. Love, love the opportunity to give a shout out. So who's the most recent celeb who's bought your shoes? Oh gosh, um, rattle off a few. I just heard Bill Murray got them the other day again. Nice. Uh, and we had a good one with Barack Obama. Cool. And We've had Emma Watson and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Matthew McConaughey is a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, what about CEOs in in Silicon Valley or elsewhere? Uh, I just we just saw Richard Branson uh, nice. wearing a pair of shoes last week, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. It, it, you know, look, it just got, it's it's been it's been cool, and it's it's been great, and it's been it's been humbling. I, I really genuinely don't think when we look back to the beginning in, in that house in San Rafael that we could have imagined how how, how this was going to play out. Jeff Kepnes, he bought some. That's my husband. Oh. <laughs> Thank He's you, had Jeff. a special events at NBC, MSNBC. <laughs> but you, hey, you got some Shout of the New York awesome. media, you know, it's glitterati cool. here. It's been cool. It's we been really love cool. this story. As we finish up, what is the one thing you would say to our listeners who have an idea and think, I just don't have the energy, or I, I, everybody's told me, no way, you're way off the mark? You know, if, if, if there's people that really know about something and they're telling you, 
just to give up, that's usually, in some cases, indication that you're onto something. And uh, you know, if you can find a way to be sort of powered by by some of that, um, you know, that that naysaying. Uh, and turning it into sort of fuel to go and prove people wrong, it can be a powerful motivation. And look, in in some ways, it's very easy to have an idea. This gets harder when you actually have to put it out into the world and get someone to open their wallet and give you some some dollars. You get early stage customers like Joey was to me in the Kickstarter campaign difficult. Uh, but if you're willing to look into it, the rewards are enormous. And um, and sort of so my my question might be back the other way. Why not? Yeah, I'd, I'd maybe just add. I think don't underestimate the power of an individual, particularly doing a creative project, to create a massive, massive ripple effect across the globe. And it can happen so quickly now. So I think, you know, do it, try to succeed wildly or fail fast, and and don't underestimate what, what you can do as, a, as an individual. It's very, very big. My final very important question. Is this about Lou the Toe? The ki- I don't know about this guy. I want to talk about him. He was the kicker for the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> and he was such a star decades ago. Lou the Toe grows up. Now do you want to see Liz the Toe claim That's it? a good endorsement. I'll show you. Okay, us. I'm going to do this because my sisters and brother growing up called me the Toe. Come on. That's a big toe. Uh, this is not even bad. Yeah, that's, that's Really? Is- that's a really pretty foot. I don't know what you're talking oh, about. You've over, you've you. over, you've you overplayed like this. On my toes? Yeah, Look, yeah. I, I, pl- I played soccer for a long time. I've, this this is looking great from where I'm sitting. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna show you mine. <laughs> All beaten up. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having us. Come back again, Joey, Tim, the co-founders of Allbirds, and we're so grateful that people like you keep going and don't give up. And if that's you guys out there listening. Just take this story as an example of why you should simply ask yourself why not, as Tim says. Thank you so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. Monday through Friday, Fox Business Network, 3 p.m. Eastern. I hope you guys watch because now you've got some coin that you can invest. So that's what we help people do. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.